Hi there, esteemed audience, and welcome to another episode of Middle Grade Ninja. I'm Rob Kent. As you know, I'm the author of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees, which you can win in a contest. And you can also win uh, something like Gravity by our previous guest, Amber Smith, and uh, the Echo Park Castaways by last night's guest, M.G. Hennessy. I've got brand new, pristine copies, uh, hardback, uh, easily, I don't know, $75 of a value, something like that. It's a, it's a, it's a good deal. Uh, so all you have to do to win both of these books, plus your choice of any of my books uh, that you can see here behind me, any of my books, I'll sign it for you. Um, and send it directly to you. And all you have to do to win this is go to YouTube and subscribe to the channel Rob Kent. Subscribe by August 15th. Uh, and on August 15th, uh, at, uh, at midnight, I will just be realistic, it's going to be August 16th. But August 16th that morning, I will print up our list of subscribers. I will have my five-year-old attack it with a marker. Whichever <laughs> one he, uh, he selects, that's the most impartial way I know to select. And that person will get a message from me and we'll figure out where you want these books sent. Uh, so head to YouTube. Uh, Rob Kent is the channel. If you can't find me that way, just search for Middle Grade Ninja. We're going to come right up. Uh, and you might want to check that out anyway. We've been uh, putting up uh, shorter clips from our previous episodes. As you know, we've had a lot of great uh, guests on. So we've got shorter clips of uh, literary agents, authors, publishing professionals, uh, talking about uh, what you want to hear about, which is how to be a better writer, how to be a better publisher, all the information you want, and you can get it in short, digestible clips. Check it out. It's YouTube. Search for Middle Grade Ninja. Uh, if you want a free book now, if you cannot wait, uh, you can get my book, Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees, as an ebook for free. Free to download whenever you're watching or listening to this, wherever fine ebooks are sold. Uh, also available in paperback. Uh, an audiobook, and then once you're uh, hooked on the series, check out Banneker Bones and the Alligator People, uh, also available in paperback and e and uh, ebook, uh, and get ready for a third as of yet untitled Banneker Bones adventure. Uh, so catch up with me there if you prefer more of a horror story. Uh, I write uh, horror novels under the super secret pen name Robert Kent. You can check out All Together Now, a zombie story, which is a young adult novel. Uh, and All Right Now, a short zombie story. So if you like The Walking Dead, if you're sad that the comic series has come to an end, which I am, I'm devastated that we're, uh, we're out of Walking Dead. No worries, I got you covered. Check out All Together Now, a zombie story. Uh, and also check out The Book of David, which is a five-volume serial novel. Uh, you can get chapter one of the Book of David, the first volume in that serial novel, for free as an ebook, free to download whenever you're watching or listening to this, wherever fine ebooks are sold. Uh, as always, check us out at middlegradeninja.com. We've got interviews with hundreds of different authors, publishing professionals, uh, just about anybody you'd want to read, guest posts by fabulous authors and publishing professionals as well, plus the back catalog of all the episodes from the show, uh, updates about future shows, updates about me and what I've got going on, and anything else you might want to know. So middlegradeninja.com. Uh, tonight, we are so fortunate. We are going to be talking with Debbie Dady, uh, which I am absolutely thrilled that she's here. Debbie, how are you this evening? Fine. How are you, Rob? I could not be more thrilled to talk with you. Uh, if you would just uh, give the esteemed audience kind of an overview of your background and your career in publishing so that, uh, yeah, let's start there. Well, you know, I'm ancient. So I've been in <laughs> for a while. I uh, was a first grade teacher. 
And then uh, I was a school librarian. And of course, the thing that I loved the most was sharing books with kids. So uh, like a lot of people, I had that dream. Maybe, you know, I could write a book and people might read it. I thought that would be pretty exciting. So uh, I wrote this story. It was really bad. Uh, called My Dad Snores a Lot. <laughs> and I even uh, sent it out. It was rejected quickly. Uh, but about that same time, I met this lady who taught at my school, Marsha Jones. And we um, were exercising one day after school in this weight room that our school had because it was also for a high, a high went through high school. And we were just pumping iron and talking about books because we both love to read. And she said to me, you know what, Debbie, we could write a book together. It'd be easy, she said. So the very next day we sat down at our school uh, in our school cafeteria, and we started writing together. Wow! So you're hearing that, authors. That's that's tonight's big tip: work out with other authors, <laughs> get inspired. <laughs> I need to do a lot more of that working out, but but I was very blessed. Marsha and I wrote, um, I guess, almost a hundred books together. So it worked out. It was a, <laughs> it's been a fruitful uh, partnership. No. We wrote and sold over about 100 books together. So we were very lucky. So did you sell that first book that you wrote together? No, we did not. <laughs> <laughs> the first book we wrote together, I believe it was called Plain White Bunnies. And we it was about this girl who had plain white tennis shoes and she wanted fancy tennis shoes. And we never sold that one, but we kept trying. We actually wrote for about a year and a half before we sold our first story and uh, and you know we felt pretty lucky because i had a friend who at the time had written for about 17 years and she had never uh had she didn't sell a book until she'd written for 17 years so we were we i know we were very lucky we were just kind of at the right place at the right time so how um uh, how uh, did you go about getting started did you reach out to an agent uh, right away did you have to go on the query go around for a while what was the uh, process like from between yeah, we, you writing your 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 better book than the uh, plain white bunnies and uh, getting it published well we um kept writing every day practicing every day and then um we actually had a bad day and we were kidding around and said you know if we were some kind of monster teacher all the kids would pay attention to us and that kind of morphed into this vampire teacher um and we wrote that story and uh that turned out to be called vampires don't wear polka dots and we mailed it off to a, a couple, I think the third publisher we mailed it to uh, was Scholastic. And we just sent it, sent it unsolicited. We didn't have an agent. Um, and somehow or another, the title caught somebody's eye. And the reader actually read it and said, hey, you might want to look at this to an editor. Um, I think it was Eva Moore. And um, we were just so lucky that uh, um, they called us. I was actually in my uh, library putting books away on the shelf because I was a librarian at the time. And the editor said, you know, we really like your book. We want to buy it and make it, you know, publish it. And I was so excited. I danced on the tabletop in my library. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Marcia came in for lunch and just so happened they called around lunchtime. We were going to go to to the cafeteria together. And I was like, <gasps> You want to buy our book? <laughs> 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 we were trying to be real cool, you know, but we were like, <laughs> so it was pretty exciting for us. 
Oh yeah, I can't. I can't even imagine how happy and, and thrilling that must have been to get a to get a phone call like that from Scholastic, and it uh, certainly has turned out to work very well for them. Because um, I, I I believe I read that uh, uh, that went on uh, to become the what's the official title of the series? Is the Baylor School Kids Adventures? Yeah, the Adventures of the Bailey School Kids. Okay. Uh, and that's uh, what one of the top three selling uh, series of, of uh, all time for Scholastic, isn't it? Yeah, I read that too. Um, so, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, there were 51 numbered books in the series, and then there were super specials and holiday specials. They had two spinoff series, the Bailey uh, City Monsters and the Bailey School Kids Junior Chapter books. So we wrote a lot of stories about the Bailey School Kids. So I think that's a, a, a trick you you really need to like your characters because you might have them around for a long time if if you're if you were lucky like we were. So how um, how did that uh, happen? Uh, as best as you could tell us, what what year are we talking about? First of all, for when uh, vampires don't wear polka dots was accepted. Um, well, vampires don't wear polka dots came out in 1990, and um, then um, it took a while. To, to get the second book published, we had to rewrite it about three times. That was Werewolves Don't Go to Summer Camp. And we thought, well, you know, we did it once. Maybe we could do it again. But then they kept rejecting it. And finally, we got it right. And they uh, bought it from us. And I think the fact that uh, Vampires Don't Wear Polka Dots, when it did come out, it sold 250,000 copies the first month it was out. And so I think that kind of gave them a little jump to maybe buy our second one. So we kept I had to turn some heads, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so we kept getting, do you know, one by one. And then uh, finally, when we were writing the sixth book, um, they called us and said, you know what? Um, we want you to write four books for us. And before we'd always been writing the book and begging them to buy it. And then they called us and said, "We want you to buy four. We want to buy. We want you to write four more books in your series." And we said, "Series? What series?" They'd never called it a series before. They'd called them companion books. So that that uh, was when it became a series. And we started writing, um, getting four and six book contracts at a time. And so we had our our work plotted out for us for for quite a while. And uh, there were several years where we were writing a book a month. Wow. So, yeah, when you write a series for a company like Scholastic, sometimes you have to be able to work very quickly. So how uh, how did that process work with you collaborating back and forth and completing a, a book as fast as a month? Well, when we first started writing, uh, we lived in the same town, which is was rather convenient. <laughs> we lived in Lexington, Kentucky. We taught at a school called Sayer School, and we sat down, and we would work at our lunch periods. We'd work after school. We'd take homework home and bring it back, and we would talk out our story. Sometimes we'd even act out our story uh, to say, well, what should happen next? Uh, you know, what could the kid do? And we'd kind of pretend we were the kids and maybe even sit down at their uh, desk and pretend what what a kid might do in a certain situation. Uh, but then my husband finished um, his doctorate and got a job in Texas. And we thought, oh, this is it. We'll never have to write. A, we'll never be able to write another book again. You know, tear, I can remember the tearful hugs on my front porch that this was the end of our writing career. And that was when we got the call from Scholastic saying, we want you to write four more books in your series. Oh, it was and that early in the collaboration? Wow. Yeah, with the sixth book. And so we said, well, we're going to have to find a way to do it long distance. So we started what we call the hot potato method of writing. We would like one of us would start the story and I started a, 
I kind of like to start them. So I would start a lot of them and I would do a couple of chapters and then I would send them back to Marsha. And in those days, believe it or not, we had to fax it. <laughs> uh, and she would read it and make some suggestions or changes, which is what we did with our, our we kind of worked as each other's editors. Um, and she'd make some suggestions and changes. And then she'd write a couple more chapters and she'd hot potato it back to me. So we went back and forth like that until um, we finished the book. And then uh, since we were editing each other's work, uh, oftentimes there wasn't a lot of editing for the, our actual editor to do because we were kind of doing it for her. So that helped the process. And we would start by um, making an um, outline of what the story was going to be about so that our editor could look at it and say, well, that's not going to work. Or, yeah, I like this. And so she would help us uh, plot the story out with that outline uh, so that the process of writing would go faster. Because if, if we were going in the wrong direction, she could tell us right away and we would fix it before we even started writing. So you were doing that outline before you even uh, hot potatoed at once? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We always work from an outline. And I do when I write by myself as well. What? Uh, well, let me, so many uh, questions about your process with that. What? Uh, we'll start with the outline. What does the outline look like? How detailed do you get? What's the typical length? Let me see if I have one out here. Oh, oh, I, oh here. Here's one for a book that comes out in 2021. Um, this is, you can see, I don't know if you can tell, but it's just a sentence or two for each um, chapter. So basically, I just get a general idea of what's going to happen in that chapter. And I know some people who do a real thorough outline. I mean, they're, you know, their outline is almost as big as their book. And I, I can't do that because I figure, well, I've already told everything I wanted to say <laughs> in the outline. But I have to keep my outlines pretty brief and, and just give myself room to kind of play around with what happens in the story. And then do you have a consistent word count or chapter, number of chapters? How, how do you know when you've got enough book? <laughs> well, um, when we first wrote the Bailey School Kids book, we were writing our story and we got to chapter 13. And we said, oh, this is perfect. A vampire book must have 13 chapters. So we always strived for 13 chapters. And that's uh, around that area is what I, I work for uh, when I write my chapter books, which is what I mostly write. And um, usually between 6,000, 8,000 words or so. Uh, but mostly uh, I have I strive for three pages per chapter because a kid told me one time that's all a chapter should have <laughs> 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 only three pages so that's what we strive for that's what i strive for and uh so i kind of work on that structure a little bit and when you're outlining do you plan cliffhangers for each chapter along the way or does that come as you're writing or do you always want to have a cliffhanger or something there at the end of the chapter Oh, I love to have cliffhangers, uh, but I don't really plot that out or, or put that in my outline. I just, um, as I'm writing, hopefully I'll come to a place. I'm like, oh, this is a great place to end a chapter. Gotcha. Um, what's your uh, What's your favorite chapter ending? Do you have one? Oh, my favorite chapter ending. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> when I when I visit schools, I, I and I talk about um, the writing process with some of the particularly older kids, like fourth and fifth graders. I'll say, and her hand reached out and grabbed her. In the chapter. <laughs> I don't even know if that's in one of my books or not, but I always say that when I do when I talk about cliffhangers with kids. The hand reached out and grabbed her. 
That's that's it. You can't possibly put that book down after that. You got to find out what happened. And you, and you do it quickly, and all the kids jump. So, so when you're uh, doing four, five, six books uh, in a contract, when you're outlining, do you do all the outlines first, or how far ahead do you plan, or is it just one book at a time? Um, well, um, for um, like a series proposal, I would come up with like a little paragraph about each book that would be in the series and like a, in a general synopsis of kind of global of what the series would be about. Um, so I would hopefully sell that series on just a little paragraph about what the story is about. So I wouldn't, uh, in most cases, I wouldn't have like a full outline or anything. And then once you, <laughs> once you get going, is it just one book at a time? Oh, well, it's always nice if it's more than one cell at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time, though, it seems like um, for a new series, they either buy two or four. And it's a lot of times just two to see how those do. And because, of course, if they don't sell, they're not going to buy any more. Sure. Yeah. And why write uh, four more books for something that people aren't reading? Not well, that, I'm, I'm sure you've never had that problem. You. I'm talking about other writers that might impact. <laughs> they don't want to pay you, of course, if it's not going to sell. So that's the, that's, the, it is a business. We don't like to think of it as a business. It's an art, but it is a business. So uh, the bottom line affects all of us. And, um, oh man, so many, so many questions for you. And we've got time. I, ooh, calm down, Robbie. We've got time. We can, we can ask all these questions. Um, let's talk a little bit more about your, your collaboration uh, with Marsha, because I'm just fascinated by this. Uh, you're going back and forth. You're, you're hot potatoing. Um, do you take turns and say that this is the book that you're kind of going to take the lead on? This is your baby and this one will be my baby? Or is it, is it together uh, on, on every story? Yeah, we were, uh, I feel like we were together on every story. Um, maybe, you know, if one of us felt strongly that the story should go this way, uh, especially in the beginning, we were like, okay, she must know what she's talking about. <laughs> I think <laughs> that, that kind of helped us to keep going because when you're writing by yourself, it's so easy to get, oh, I can't do it. I'm just going to give up, you know? But when you're writing with a partner, uh, you do have to compromise, but they also give you a little bit of encouragement to keep you going. Uh, because I know there were plenty of times I thought, oh, I should just give up. And But if Marsha wasn't going to give up, I wasn't going to give up. So we kind of boosted each other's morale that way. And I think critique groups can be helpful uh, that way, too. Um, if you have a group of writers who can support you uh, and give you suggestions to make your story better, which I think we did for each other. And so when uh, when did you write your first solo book? <laughs> when I... Uh, when my daughter was born on a Sunday and Disney called me on a Monday the next day and asked me to have an outline to him by Wednesday. Really? And you told them that you just had a child or did you leave that out? I said, I left that out. I said, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Why you you are right or die, Debbie Danny. That's You just wow. don't. <laughs> when you do it, right? <laughs> oh, I never want to hear an excuse from one of my writing students ever again about why they can't write. That's incredible. Oh, baby, oh, what? Don't be a wimp, right? <laughs> I guess not. No, that was not easy. I won't say that it was easy. It was definitely not easy. But, you know, you do it. <laughs> no, I, I don't. But then the baby does. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. 
That was the first thing I wrote. Do you write every day then? Um, I don't work on uh, Sunday or and Saturday uh, is family day or work in the yard day. Um, but uh, throughout the week, I, I get up at uh, usually about six. Um, it depends on how late my dogs sleep. <laughs> and I do um, uh, social media and email until about seven or seven thirty. And then I start work. And then what uh, what does your workday look like? How how do you, do you set specific times for I'm going to write from here to here? Do you set a word count goal? How do you keep yourself on task? Well, it's a lot easier now because um, I'm an empty nester, sadly. <laughs> but but um, um, I strive for three pages a day, which doesn't sound like much. But, you know, three pages a day throughout the year certainly adds up. Um, so well, that's that, a whole chapter. Yeah. Yeah, that's my goal uh for for a day um but i don't have a set period of time but i do pretty much work all day now um breaks for well i have to have my 10 o'clock break to take the dogs for a walk and my lunch break and then my two or three o'clock break to take the dogs out <laughs> i usually end up uh, in work about four but uh, i've had something i've been working on um that i've been working some at night too but i usually don't do that and then um uh, are you just drafting during the day or do you draft and then revise or um, usually what I do is I whatever I write like day one day two I'll go back and rewrite that um, see what I can do to make it better and then that'll leap me into the next part of the story okay so you always leave yourself uh, that that's another reason to, to come up with a good uh, cliffhanger or closest you can get to one for a chapter right so you've got something to go on the next day <laughs> yeah. Um, when Marsha and I would do that to each other, we'd, we'd try to put the craziest uh, cliffhangers we could to see what would happen next. <laughs> it's a little twist to the story. <laughs> Just for fun sometimes. Just kind of try to one-up each other on the hot potato. <laughs> Oh, that sounds fun. I was very lucky to have her as a writing partner. But she's she's uh, She taught me structure um i was more just oh, write whatever you want you know and um I, I found that with structure it makes story writing a lot easier for me anyway so do you um when you say structure are you talking just standard story structure do you have uh some templates for the the type of story that you want um what what, what does structure uh look like how do you how do you know that you're following it <laughs> well, I'm um, basically an uh, outline or and the plot of, of you know, like three bad things. When I talk to kids at school, I say, you know, a lot of stories have the magic of three in them. There's the problem. It gets worse and it gets worse. And so kind of having that arc of the problem getting worse and then the solution um, and just basically outlining the story, which uh, before I met. March and started working with her, um, I would just kind of write anything and not really have a plan. And I think having a plan helps you from getting lost in your story. Uh, I know a lot of kids tell me, oh, I started this story and it was really good, but then I didn't know what to do when I got to this certain point. I just quit. And I think a lot of that happens a lot with writers because uh, if you don't plan ahead of time and you don't know where your story is going, you might get lost along the way somewhere. 
Yeah, unfortunately, I've uh, I've been there, and I've also suffered the uh, common trope of rewriting your beginning uh, a million times to make sure it's perfect, and then never writing the rest of the novel. <laughs> oh, no, that's easy to do. I know. <laughs> so you um, do you do you draft all the way through to the end, and then start revising at this point? Now that you're you're doing this solo, or is it still revise, uh, draft, revise, draft, revise? Yeah, I draft revise, uh, but not extensively uh, for when I'm working through the story. I just do like um, edits and, and real glaring uh, problems of editing. Uh, but then after I'm finished, then I'll try to do more of a global uh, re revision. Actually, I was supposed to do a, a talk on revision on um, um, my Facebook page, Debbie Dady. Uh, Facebook page and on my author page and on Monday and my modem just decided to go out right then. Oh no! <laughs> and so I didn't do that. Uh, it, it was it was a series I'm doing or I uh, will finish up. Uh, I'm thinking I'm gonna I've got a, I'm gonna schedule up for the 17th of this month at seven o'clock Eastern time uh, to finish up the series I've called uh, uh, Writing Comes Alive on Facebook Live and I'm. Uh, it was on revision. So that's been making me think about revision a little bit, <laughs> but I will be talking about that uh, on that uh, the 17th at seven <laughs> of this month. And is that something that anybody can uh, hop on Facebook and join? Uh -huh. uh, there, uh, there, I think there were going to be six of them and this will be the sixth one, if I'm not mistaken, maybe seven. Um, and there are all the other ones are on there and I'll do that last one on the 17th at seven Eastern time. And give the uh, link one more time. Uh, just uh, my Facebook page, uh, my author page, Debbie Dady. Beautiful. So there you go, esteemed audience. You now have a date, the 17th at 7. You better be there. You don't want to miss this. Can you give us just a, a little taste, just a little preview of uh, what we can look forward to hearing about with revision? Oh, well, um, I, I put on my uh, Facebook page, people might like to check it out, um, some filter words. And that's actually what I was working on in the story that uh, today I was going through filter words like, like, <laughs> um, uh, what are some other filter words? Uh, see, hear, uh, words that um, maybe don't really, t could be, other words could make it come alive more. Instead of words that are taking you out of your character, maybe words that bring you into character, if that makes any sense. Uh, um, if Mary sees something, that takes you out of the story. But if we just see what Mary sees, like the dog ran at me. Instead of Mary sees a dog ran at, run at her. Oh, okay, sure. That makes sense. So that sort of thing is uh, is one or one is, is one of the things I'm gonna be chatting about. So and the idea there that um, now we're, we're seeing the same thing that Mary's seeing as opposed to uh, right. being reminded that Mary is a character that, that's yeah. interacting with the big world. Yeah. So taking away uh, that buffer uh, brings us more into the story. And that, that's what I was working on today with, the, with a, a very different story that I've been working on. Very cool. I don't think I've ever heard that. That's fascinating. What uh, What are some other things that uh, that you're watching out for that uh, would take us out of the story? <laughs> oh dear. Let's see here. <laughs> you're make me think. At eight thirty at night. I was doing that a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, well, uh, let's see. Oh, 
something to think about is uh, if um, you have tension on every page. And I, actually, one of the sessions I did was uh, was on tension. And um, I think so, uh, this revision process, process is a great time to say, OK, this is my story. But what if this happened instead? Would it make it better? And just go, go, especially endings. Uh, is that ending going to? Could it, that ending be better if I just flipped it totally to something else? Uh, I was I wrote a story called uh, Whistler's Hollow uh, for Bloomsbury uh, years ago. And when I was writing the story, I had my ending plotted out. I knew what was going to happen. But when I got to the end, I'm like, well, you know what? What if something totally different happened? And I think it made the story much better. So revision is a time to say well this is what, how how my story happened but is there anything that could make it better you know what if this happened instead or what if that happened instead and just go through your story and say what if what if what if what if um because what if is a powerful tool in in revising and getting your story started and i've heard you talk about uh taking two things that uh, don't seem to go together and combining them uh, such as vampires and polka dots and, and etc <laughs> Yeah, with like the juxtaposition of I, I got that word <laughs> of two totally different things. And when we were, uh, you know, doing four books contracts, we would have a list of characters that we wanted to write about and a list of crazy things that they might do or normal things they might do and pair up what we thought might be fun uh, to go together. So that, that was a lot of fun. We did that with the Bailey School Kids and the Bailey School Kids junior chapter books, but I haven't done that with any other uh, books that I've written. It was a fun thing to do. And how uh, how do you go about choosing your characters? Uh, for like the Bailey School Kids or any book? Uh, both. Oh, <laughs> well, um, I think a part of me is in every character. And so, and uh, from teaching school, uh, you mean all kinds of characters. <laughs> so that's kind of some of those kind of stick in your mind, too. But um, I think you put a little bit of yourself in every character. Uh, but sometimes uh, I just kind of sit down with the character sketch sheet, which you can find on my website, debbiedady.com in the writing section. Um, and I'll just start filling it out. And um, what's your name or his name? And uh, where does he live? And uh, what does he like? What does he hang on his bedroom wall? Uh, does he have a pet? Has he ever had a birthday party? And you just sort of grow this character uh, and uh, let him come alive with your pen and pencil. <laughs> so you sit down and you you figure out not every last thing you're going to know about the character, but you figure out all those attributes ahead of time and you know who this person is going into the story. Right before I even start it. Cool. That sounds so, so much more convenient than what I do. I should <laughs> get to go to your website about it, download that character sheet and give that a try. Yeah, it's a real simple one and you can always add to it. But um, I, I think it's helpful because it gives you kind of a, a starting point. Like you said, you're going to add to it as you learn more about your character. And if you write 51 books about your character, you're bound to learn a lot about your character and and uh, you know, as your character grows and, and you learn more about them, you jot more down on your character sketch. So knowing that that's uh, always a potential possibility, are you writing, always leaving possibilities open, not closing doors as much as you can? No, I give it, I try to give it all I've got. I don't try to close, I don't, I don't try to hold anything back because who knows if there'll be anything 
next? Because that's the thing about being a writer, isn't it? You sell this book and you never know if you're going to sell another one. Oh, I think I think we can safely assume that Debbie Dady will be able to sell more books. Sure. At this you never point. know. <laughs> you never how many? Uh, do you? I was trying to come up with a number. I couldn't even uh, count them. How, do you know how many books you have published at this moment? A uh, hundred and sixty-eight stories that I've tr sold to tr two traditional publishers. Wow. Uh, think about uh, forty. Uh, well, uh, over forty-two million copies. Wow. So when when did it hit you that oh oh my god I I am really a writer was it just that first moment dancing on the cafeteria or was it was it later on <laughs> You can't get much better than dancing on the library table <laughs> <laughs> Well um I guess um when I was at a book signing and this kid looked up at me and said you wrote this book and I was like yeah I did <laughs> That was pretty great. <laughs> and when, uh, when, when, how, how, how early in your career was that? Well, you know what? When Marsha and I worked so hard, we went to every bookstore within, I don't know, a couple hundred miles radius. And, you know, at the beginning, there were tumbleweeds rolling through. <laughs> <laughs> and very gradually it built and built. And um, um, uh, that it was probably pretty early in our career that 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 happened but so that was a that was when that happens it's a very nice thing and and uh, we get fan letters from kids all over the world who who are wonderful uh uh supporters of our work so that's that's always encouraging what's your uh, favorite reader reaction to something you've written um oh there was a little boy in indiana Oh, Evan wonderful. Indiana. Um, and uh, I live in, um, uh, where do I live? I live in Tennessee now. I've lived in a lot of places. It's hard to keep up. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I visited a school in Evansville, Indiana, and there was a little boy who was out in the hallway crying. He was crying because I came to his school. The problem was he expected Eddie, Melody, Hallie, and Liza, the characters from the Bailey School Kids, to be visiting that day. He didn't want me. <laughs> he wanted those characters because he thought they were real. Because to him, they were real. Um, and not, um, I mean, I felt kind of bad, but <laughs> but I felt kind of good too because he really thought those characters were real. And they, and you know, our books brought them to life to him. That was pretty oh, special. Yeah, I can't even imagine. That's 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 fantastic. I mean, sad, kind of, but also <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> oh, <good point. laughs> oh no! <laughs> then, um, oh, what was my question for? It's gone uh, right out of my head. Um, when uh, when did it hit you that not just that you're a writer, but that you are an extremely successful writer, a writer that's uh, head and shoulders above other other folks uh, within the business? Why has it? <laughs> <laughs> Still working on that. <laughs> yeah, but at some point, uh, what, 30, 35 million uh, copies of the, the Baylor School Kids uh, uh, sold, sooner or later, it, it had to occur to you that, wow, this is really kind of an extraordinary thing that I've done. Well, we've I know I've been very lucky. And uh, um, I mean, Marsha and I have worked very hard. I can't say that we didn't, but we were very lucky, too. So um, I guess um, we one thing we did, we saw kind of a need. And maybe that helped 
uh, us to be successful because when I was a school librarian, <clears throat> um, there were the picture books and there were the novels, but there weren't very many in between books. And I noticed, you know, a lot of kids didn't want to read a baby book. Oh, I don't want a picture, picture book. That's a baby book. And, but they could not read the long, thick novels. They needed something in between. And at the time there was, there was like Nate the Great and there was, um, oh, what else was it? The Polk Street Kids. Uh, but there wasn't a lot of choices for kids in that in that age range, second, third grade. Um, so uh, we thought there was a need for stories in that level. And that's what we wrote for. And I think that that was a I'm glad we did because it, it I think it did fill a need. And nowadays there there are lots more chapter books, uh, which is a great thing because kids have a lot of choices. Oh, sure. Yeah, we want to keep them reading so that uh, when they finish whatever book they're on now, they can come back and get another one of yours. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, novel readers uh, uh, should be thanking chapter book writers because we lead them too. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you do the hard work. <laughs> you tell them. You're welcome. <laughs> you did it. And so were you, I'm, I'm assuming that a good part of uh, being a, a, a children's librarian is you, you've got the opportunity to do that market research right there. Are you asking the kids what what kind of stories they like to read, what they what they like to what they liked about the stories they read? What kind of research were you able to do in that position? Well, just getting to know the kids and what kind of stories they liked uh, was very eye opening. And um, one the one of the uh, another reason that we started writing about the creatures, monsters and vampires and werewolves and uh, zombies was because there was this one set of books in my library that the kids practically fought over. And they were how to, how they, each monster, how to make monster movies. I think they were about Ian Thorne and they, each book would take a different, take a monster like Dracula and it would tell about how they made different monster movies and a little bit about each monster and the kids are fascinated that by this and, and you know that's in our heads that wow kids really seem to like to read about monsters so that kind of helped us to write um the bailey school kids with the different teachers uh, who just might be monsters and how uh, how do you do your research these days that you're you're you're, you're writing all day and and, and dog walking <laughs> um, I'm assuming you're doing school visits and, and, and other events where you can go and interact with children. How do you keep yourself abreast of the market and keep sharp? Well, I'm working on that. <laughs> with my new series, Mermaid Tales, um, I do a lot of research of different ocean creatures and ocean concepts because each book actually centers around uh, a different creature. My newest one is called The Narwhal Problem. So I got to learn everything I could about narwhals and and some of that I put into the story but some of it just helped me to uh, write the story uh, so I'm I never thought I would be such a uh, ocean nerd but I love it <laughs> <laughs> it's only, I mean it's just a fascinating world and and it's uh, it's a pleasure to be able to write about it and put some facts into the story that hopefully kids will learn a little bit about the ocean as they're having a good time, hopefully, reading this uh, uh, fiction story. So what was it that uh, brought you to Mermaids and said, that that's it, that's my next book? And I think there are 22 <laughs> in the series. Is that right? Am I remembering that correctly? Well, um, number 19 just came out. I have contracted to 22, though. Okay. 
we'll see about what happens after that. <laughs> uh, but I'm, yeah, I'm working on number 21 right now, which will come out in 2021. Uh, but, um, oh, what happened was, I had to remember your question. <laughs> what happened was, um, out of the blue, um, I got an email through my website because on my website, there's a place where adults can write me. There's also a place where kids can write me. And on the Kids Talk page, I answer every one of those kids' letters on my website in the Debbie Talks. But this was through the adult only uh where adults can contact me. And she said, I know this is kind of strange. It was an editor from Simon and Schuster, but um, would you like to write a series for me? <laughs> and I love to write. So I'm like, well, I'm intrigued. What would you have in mind? And um, we went back and forth and she said that she thought mermaids was the next big thing. And I said, I like mermaids. <laughs> so I, I did, um, brainstorming for about six months, building the world and the character sketches and uh, a story arc for the first four books, which I sold four, I believe, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think I sold four and, and two came out um, together and then two more came out together. Um, but yeah, I worked on it for about six months before uh, she finally said, yeah, let's go with this. So for six months, what kind of research are you doing? Are you just online? Or are you out in the ocean? Uh, yeah. diving or? Well, the ocean is great place to do research, but I, I, I do uh, uh, a lot of book research, online research, uh, um, centering on, you know, the character with my newest book, um, The Narwhal Problem. I actually um, contacted a, a person who's an expert in narwhals because I wanted to know what that horn was not horn that tooth was what, what was used for and there are a couple of other questions i i asked and, uh, and um she was so kind uh dr kristen ladry i believe is her name and she uh told helped me out uh so you know experts in the field are is a great way to go too makes sense and then um uh, when you're approaching the, the story, you said you had your, your first four books already planned and, and outlined, uh, and then they come back and they say, we want more. Is it just four more at that point? Or they say, let's um, go to 22? Uh, I believe it was four more. And, oh, yeah, that would have been nice. <laughs> right <away. laughs> no, um, I believe it was four more, and then I would come up with a little uh, paragraph about what each book would be about. And I would give them uh, more than four. Uh, hopefully so they buy more than four, but usually no. <laughs> but they can choose which ones they like the best. Gotcha. So you're 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 pitching multiple stories set within the universe and then they let you know which which ones pop. Right. Makes sense. And then um um once you've written your initial arc, how do you expand that? How do you make room for another four stories? Uh well, um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you, you've done it. <laughs> well, um, if anybody would know, it's got to be you. <laughs> I'm, well, you have their character. You know what they like and what they don't like. And so that helps you to build on some, something else that could happen to them naturally in a third grade classroom because the mermaids in this series are in third grade. And if you know anything about 
elementary school, you know some of the things that happen in elementary school, spelling tests, you know, math quizzes, uh, field trips, and you can use that to uh, kind of springboard into new, different ideas. So life, you know, gives you ideas. Um, sometimes your research gives you ideas. Like um, when I'm researching narwhals, I might find another creature. Oh, I, this would be so cool to write about. How, what, how could this happen in, in a story form? So do you keep like an idea folder or a journal or oh, where do you store those? Not that thick. Of <laughs> <laughs> ideas, I think one of these days it would be fun to write about this. So anytime you've got an idea and you stick it in there and you've got you, you're covered for the foreseeable future. Yeah. And so, so the dream is, you know, you get that call from an editor. Would you write me something? And they're like, well, I just have an idea right here. <laughs> some of them are good. Some of them are bad. <laughs> Do you keep an ideal reader in mind? Um, well, I've done some picture books, just two, and I've done about four novels, but most of my books are for second through fourth grade readers. Uh, so those are probably who I kind of have in my head. And, you know, I'm on a third grade, grade I have a third grade brain anyway, so I think that's where I work best. <laughs> You're you're the person you're the person for the job. You <laughs> you were training uh, before you became a writer. <laughs> so um, how what, let me ask you about your your reading habits then? Because you're working, you said tell usually if you're not if you're not on deadline or working at night, you're you're knocking off around four or five. And then are you reading in the evening? How free? How often are you reading? And what do you read? Oh, I read pretty much everything i like to keep up on new uh, children's books and books by my friends and uh i probably i don't read as many adult books as uh, uh i should but i have a guilty pleasure i do read uh, some uh romance christian romance <laughs> because you know <laughs> right, can you give us a couple of your favorites <laughs> oh i just read actually a book by um oh, what did i do with it uh david bell the forgotten girl that was I, I enjoyed that see that was something different for me uh but um he's a friend he's a husband of a friend of mine so <laughs> and uh it was that was i enjoyed that book well that's wonderful and then i'm assuming you've got you must have writer friends just all over the country that you can go and and, and talk to and um, uh, get inspired by i at, at this point well, I've been fortunate to meet a lot of uh, different writers, and um, I wish I'd thought of it when I first started writing to take a picture of myself with each writer that I met. I did start doing that, and I put, put it on my, uh, I have an album on my website, debbiedady.com, and of uh, being with different authors. So that I wish I'd done it when I first started, so that would be advice. When you first start writing, take a, every time you meet a, an author, take your picture with them. So you'll have that for posterity. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just do an entire podcast episode with them. There we go. There we go. <laughs> I'm going to remember my chat with Debbie <laughs> Dating. <laughs> You're much more technical than I am. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, oh, what did I want to ask you? I wanted to ask you about, um, uh, you said you have a, a critique group. How long have you been with your critique group? Well, I just moved to, um, uh, Tennessee, um, I guess about close to four years. For, and I got the critique group not too long after I moved. Uh, but I've always tried to belong to a critique group. Um, anytime I move to a new area, which I've moved a lot, <laughs> um, 
uh, for my husband's job, but um, anytime I move to a new area, I usually go to um, the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, scbwi.org. And if you don't belong to that and you write for kids, you should definitely belong to that, scbwi.org. And they will actually connect you with the critique group in the area that you're going to before you're even there. Um, so that that's always a big help. Um, so they're finding like seasoned authors that have some something kind of close to your your level of experience. Or? No, my uh, critique group's just a mix, and most are. Um, but just because somebody may may, may not be um, uh, have as much um, experience writing as you, it doesn't mean that they can't be a good critiquer, because they, uh, you know, how you can't see the forest for the trees when it's your writing. Oh, everything's perfect or everything's awful. It's one or the other, it seems like. <laughs> uh, and but when you when somebody with uh, looks at it with a uh, eyes from, you know, the outside, they can find things that don't work or maybe things that really, you know, this is great, but we, you maybe should think about changing this. And then you have to s decide whether you want to change that or not. But if a lot of people in your critique group tell you that that's not working, it's probably something you want to think about changing, which is what I do. So that has to be intimidating. I'd, I'd be, unfortunately, I've got a critique group that I've, I've had for almost, I think, a decade now. Um, we're, we're, we're old friends. Uh, we, we change in some new members, but but the core of us are, are, are still uh, exchanging critiques. Um, but I'd be so intimidated if I, I got matched up and I'm like, okay, well, here comes some writer and I'm, I'm feeling good about myself. I'm going to be a big help. I've written 10 books. And then Debbie Dady walks in. Oh, no. You know, every book is a new experience. You know, it's, it's every book is just, every new project is scary because it's the unknown. So I think we all look at it that way. We're all just trying to help each other be better writers. And because you've moved so many times and, and, and found new critique groups, I'm assuming you're you're probably a little bit of an expert on, on what a good critique group looks like. So how do you how do you run your critique groups and how do you set yourselves up for success? Well, we um, have a call for manuscripts two weeks prior to our meeting. We just meet once a month. Um, I wish I it, sometimes I wish I could meet every week, but you know, people work and and life goes on. Uh, plus, you have to get ready for that next critique. But um, we meet once a month and two weeks before we do a call for manuscripts. So within hopefully that first week, you get your uh, uh, 13 pages or less sent out and we read them ahead of time and make suggestions and, and comments of what we think would make the story be better. And then we bring that to the meeting. And I'm lucky because we meet at my house, so I don't have to go anywhere. Nice. <laughs> uh, and um, we um, uh, go just kind of around in a circle saying, okay, whoever got theirs in first gets the first critique. And we'll tell them what works, what doesn't work, and suggestions maybe for how it can be better. Um, and the rule is supposed to be uh, that you don't say a word while you're being critiqued because – you don't get to say a word to the editor. You don't get to say to your editor, oh, well, what I meant was, no, you, you don't, you have to stand on what's written on the page. And uh, so we try to be quiet while we're being critiqued. And then uh, we take that back to our computer and uh, the next day and we decide what's, what we're going to change and what we're going to keep and what advice we liked and what advice we didn't like. 
That's a good rule. The uh, person being critiqued, not being able to speak. That's a rule I'm very heavy on enforcing. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. Especially when it's uh, me, because uh, I, you know, I want to lawyer my stories. Like, no, no, you didn't understand my secret genius. Let me explain it to you. Now. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, you don't get to you don't get to tell them if your book is published. You don't get to tell the reader what you meant. What your story is just what's on the page, and and uh, so you have to go with that. Yeah, for better or for worse. So, how many uh, people are we talking? What's a good size critique group? Well, my critique group has just four people. Um, but I think if you get too much bigger than that, it's kind of it's kind of hard to get everybody adequate time in an evening because we meet in an evening. Um, but um, I've been I've been in much bigger critique groups where we actually broke up into tables um, and uh, critiqued had lots of different critiques going on going on but i the small is kind of nice but whatever works for for you how many people are in your critique group uh, at the moment i believe it's five yeah i think four or five is probably a good good number and then we usually we just do one person's manuscript we do a, a full manuscript uh, and then we, yeah. we get a month out uh, to do it and you said 13 pages is what you're doing for everybody in the group is mm -hmm. presenting 13 pages or less so you have you send a whole story and everything. Oh, yeah. Wow. Ooh, my critique group might fall over if I suggest that. <laughs> you only well, you know what? I'm the bad boy. I will do uh, partials. Um, so I'll do I'll do 100, 150 pages as a, as a part of the story, and then I'll do the second half because uh, that way I know what's what's working, what's not working as I'm finishing. So I'm uh, not writing myself in the corners. Hopefully. Uh, they've been pretty good about uh, about steering me right and uh, keeping me from making terrible decisions. But for somebody like you, where you're, you know, you've got 22 books uh, that you're that you're writing for uh, Mermaid Tales, uh, and and you're so prolific, is 13 pages a month is that enough to keep up with your pace of writing? Well, I do work on something different too. I usually have a couple projects going at a time. So I'll have the project that's being critiqued. I have another project that I'm working on too. Got you. That's got to help uh, the sting a little bit if you've got something else that you're working on. So it's not your, your precious, your whole heart on the page or does it, does it still hurt? <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, it is still precious. <laughs> it's hard. I don't, uh, I have had more uh, rejections than I care to admit. <laughs> I write a lot. So. No, Debbie, I need you to tell me that if I write enough books and do this for long enough, that pain goes away. Tell no, me that. <laughs> I'm sorry to say it does not go away. But um, it, but I think one thing that having the experience that I've had, it does hopefully get my books looked at more uh, than just being tossed on the, you know, submission file or the slush pile. Uh, but but I, I it's still this book still has to be good to be sold. It has to have a good story. And if it doesn't have that, you're not going to sell it. So that's, that's the trick. <laughs> we really have a really good story. <laughs> how, uh, how do you evaluate uh, going in whether or not you've got a really good story or can you? You know, um, most of the time I have to kind of play with it. And sometimes my agent says, no, <laughs> that's not any good. <laughs> uh, but uh, most of 
most of the time, I think if you have a, an idea that you're really excited about, it's if you're really excited about, it, it's probably a good idea. Because if you're excited about it, hopefully somebody else is going to be excited about it. And how do you know when you're genuinely excited versus hoping to be excited uh, <laughs> because you've already written some things? Because you can't wait to start it. That's a good answer. That makes sense. Uh, and um, oh gosh, what was my next question for you? Uh, what's uh, what's what's kept you going? Uh, we're coming up. Uh, what it's uh, almost thirty years. You said nineteen ninety uh, was was the start. Um, what's because uh, I'm sure that even with with all of your success that it's publishing, I'm sure there've been some ups and some downs and uh, and, and and some hard times uh, somewhere in there. Or or did you manage to get through thirty year career and then there weren't. Oh yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think the biggest change in the 30 years that I've been writing is probably all the self-published books. Uh, because of course that wasn't, there wasn't such a thing really when I was, when I first started writing uh, maybe some vanity presses, but nothing like on the scale that we see now with, you know, books on online and um, so that, I think that's a big difference that I've seen in, in the 30 years I've been publishing. I have, some of my books that have gone out of print because it happens. Um, <laughs> I have put up as eBooks um, uh, and a, a book about writing that I, um, my friend Marsha and I wrote for Writer's Digest, which was originally called Story Sparkers. We uh, re rewrote the entire book and we put it up on, um, on Amazon um, and it's now called Writing for Kids, The Ultimate Guide. And that book is everything that I know about writing <laughs> and everything that Marsha knows about writing put together, uh, writing for kids, the ultimate guide. And um, actually it's, it's kind of a, a good thing to write about writing or to talk about writing. I'm getting ready to go to um, the Tennessee writers. Um, what's it called? Tennessee writers workshop, I believe in uh, Nashville coming up. It's on my website. <clears throat> Um, but it forces when I prepare a, a talk about a certain subject, it forces me to think, now, am I really doing that? <laughs> I need to do that more. Or, or I haven't done that in a long time. I should do that. That really helped. That would really make my story better. So uh, um, I think uh, uh, talking about writing uh, can be a good thing, but sometimes you can talk too much and you have to actually Stop talking and do the writing. Get your rear in the chair <laughs> and do the writing because you have to do the work uh, to get the story published. And and um, I guess I am a one good thing that uh, that has helped me is that I am kind of a, a goal oriented. If I say I want to get three pages a day, I'm going to get three pages a day. And I try to make goals for myself, like finish the book by such and such date or or. Um, a list of things that I want to do because I love checking stuff off a list. That's the best thing ever. <laughs> so I think that helps helps me get organized with my writing too. That okay, well I'm gonna I'm gonna make a, a summer reading brochure uh, for the narwhal problem, and I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that, and I'll check that off, and that keeps me keeps me going in my writing career. And and um, it's just so easy to flounder, I guess, when you when you uh, don't have some kind of goals. And so uh, a talk I'm gonna do at that Tennessee Writers Workshop um, on August the 3rd is um, about the business of writing. And one of the things I'm gonna touch on is to have goals and um, try to keep 
to keep those goals in in mind and focus on them to work toward those goals so that you have kind of a plan for your your writing career what um do you do you set rewards for yourself when you hit your goals or is it just that satisfaction of checking off the item on the list it's the satisfaction but i think those rewards sound really good (laughs) 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 and then um what what's a what's a what's a good way to set a goal what's a good reasonable goal because i'll I'll talk with uh, people in in my writing workshop and try and get them to set goals Uh, and sometimes they'll just you know the first session i have them all write a goal down they'll just copy down what i wrote from the syllabus as i think is a reasonable goal okay but that's that's my goal for you what what do you want to do um so how does a writer set a reasonable goal and hold themselves accountable well i know some people say oh i'm gonna have a book published by a by a, a, a traditional publisher and you don't have any control over that i mean you can write the best book you can you can and maybe it doesn't get published because i've done that quite a few times <laughs> i'm gonna fall full <laughs> um, but uh, you do have control over a goal that says i'm going to write three pages a day you do have a goal over something that says i'm going to finish this book i'm going to edit it i'm going to revise it and i'm going to send it out to a publisher by january the first uh which is not particularly a good time to submit a book by the way (laughs) 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 but um you you have to make the goals things that you can actually do because there's some a lot of things we have no control over as writers uh but doing the work we do have control is that now that you're publishing, you mentioned your your writing guide plus some of the previous titles that are out of print, and you're kind of hybrid, uh, being a hybrid author and, and self-publishing some of those to, to have them available. Does that become a bit of a temptation that knowing that that's available as a as a viable option for you that nobody can ever tell you no again? <laughs> well, I know how hard it is to sell a book <laughs> on. Uh, uh, you know, through self-publishing. And I like to have the support of a traditional publisher because it's hard enough to sell books with a traditional publisher. Um, I think not self-publishing. I I admire anybody who can self-publish because, and sell books because I think that's really hard. Um, Because, um, I try to do a lot of book signings and book events as much as I can. Um, and yet Simon & Schuster also promotes my books for me. Uh, so not having that umbrella of somebody else helping me out, I think is, a, is it's difficult to make a living as being a writer without, without having that support. So now so- I'm not tempted to try writing, uh, not maybe i will someday but um those books i just um actually uh they um most of the ones i have are with um a a kindle program through an an agent who does who does um ebooks and um it started out with a, a thing from with uh seymour simon his wife uh liz they did a um company where they took out the print books and put them online. And so I went, she did all the work for me (laughs) (laughs) for most of those books. Uh, And so that was, that was great. (laughs) Uh, So it's kind of, um, 
I, they are, uh, you know, self-published, I guess you could say, but they're through that, uh, through that um, avenue of where they uh, uh, digitize books and they um, sold them uh, to schools in groups. So that, um, and that, that company was bought out. So uh, they're on to new adventures, but <laughs> um, they're still kind of uh, in a program that helps them get uh, seen more because that's, there's so many books when with self-publishing, there's so many more, it's hard for people to find your book. And so that's great why, that you have podcasts like this to help people find books. Oh, that I'm, I'm happy when that happens. Really, I'm just thrilled <laughs> to learn about writing directly from you. Where else can I get this? <laughs> right here from my home. This is great. Well, thank you for having me. What, um, oh, I had a burning question for you, and, and now uh -oh. it's gone. Hope it'll, uh, it'll get back to me. It must oh. have been a I wanted to, to ask, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm not that surprised knowing what I do about traditional publishing, but I'm a little bit surprised that, that somebody would still say no to you at this stage. I would think you could just walk in this Scholastic and say, real quick, what are your top three selling series? <clears throat> All right, then. <laughs> Here's my next book. Uh, well, that doesn't happen. That uh, doesn't happen every day. But um, I think, you know, you have to sell, you have to write a really good book to get published. And there's a lot of really good books out there. And the key is to be a really good book with a unique twist. Because, uh, well, because why buy something that's already been done? Well, you, you say that, and yet, <laughs> and yet, every year I see the same the same types of books come out. Like somebody's buying them. Uh, there's always a new variation on a girl and her horse. <laughs> well, that's the key: new variation. I guess it's not exactly the same. They twisted it in some way. I guess. I think my well, I, I never say my favorite because that's I'm gonna insult ten other people. Um, but a book uh, that I really enjoyed was uh, I Remember Horses uh, by um, I think it's the girl who remembered horses. I, I remember horses, the girl who remembered horses um, by Linda Benson. But it's a girl and a horse story, and I went through a whole phase at uh, at, at the blog where I was reviewing nonstop girl and a horse stories. Uh, but this one was set during the apocalypse. I said, okay. <laughs> That's yeah. how you get me back. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess publishers don't want to. Well, like you said, there's some books that you see all the time, dog books, uh, but they want something unique about this, the approach to the dog book, because why buy something that's already been done? Um, so that's the trick that makes it so hard. It has to be uh, the same yet better and different. <laughs> Because let's face it, kids like to read about sports. They like to read about dogs. They like adventure. Uh, they like horses. So how can you make that into something new and exciting? It's easy. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't have thought so, but 160 books by Debbie Daddy proves me wrong. <laughs> it must be at the very least doable. <laughs> you just keep trying, right? You just keep trying. And... Um... Oh, Lord. Uh, what are the uh, biggest changes uh, that you've seen over your career in publishing? I, I know you mentioned self-publishing. What other changes have you seen? Um, well, I don't think uh, editors uh, maybe have the time to take with you uh, to make your story better. You know, you've heard about these agents who, I mean, editors who will 
oh, take you by the hand and lead you to the path of, of greatness. Well, I don't think that you pretty much have to be great to get the editor to shake your hand to begin with anymore because they're just so busy and, and uh, they don't have time to, to coddle you. And, and uh, if your manuscript isn't pretty much perfect when they first see it, you don't have much hope, it seems like. And you were you were getting feedback on your outlines uh, back in the back in the middle school uh, days, right? Yeah. Yeah. And is that just not some? I'm assuming there's. You mentioned that uh, you're still presenting multiple ideas and getting at least some feedback, but is it just not as the same amount of concentration just for you? Or? Um, well, I still like for the mermaid tales. I do a um, a um, um, outline and get the same feedback from my editor, which is wonderful. Uh, but I'm, I'm just talking about globally. It doesn't seem like uh, they're, the editors um, have that same um, time and energy to put into to perhaps growing a really good writer. Um, they expect the writer to be really good to begin with. Does that make sense? I don't know. <laughs> it does, uh, which has got to be heartening for, for you because <laughs> you are really good uh, oh, to begin with. Um, but it's uh, it's a tall order for uh, for some for some newbie writers, writers just coming up. Uh, and then um, what uh, what are the most effective forms of marketing that you found? You mentioned you're doing social media every morning. How are you reaching readers and, and keeping your name out there? Well, Rob, you just reminded me of something that has changed in the last 30 years. When I first started writing, there was no Facebook, there was no Twitter, there was no LinkedIn, there was, you know, none of that. And um, everybody felt so much better about themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a different world. And so um, I kind of got pulled in kicking and screaming into uh, social media by my children. <laughs> my daughter set me up an account and somebody had the audacity to talk to me. <laughs> and I'm like, now what do I do? <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm becoming better at it. I, I have, I'm on Debbie Dady, facebook.com slash Debbie Dady, uh, twitter.com slash Debbie Dady. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Pinterest. Uh, and I think that's pretty much, uh, I think I have a little thing on Tumblr that an intern set up for me one summer that I don't think I've ever looked at since she set it up for me. Uh, but that was interesting. Uh, but so I try to do, uh, you know, a little bit that I'm comfortable with. And I think that's the key, uh, doing things that you're comfortable with. It's not too far outside of your comfort zone, but it is good to kind of push yourself a little bit to, to see what you can do. And uh, that's what I did with that uh, Facebook Live um, Writing Comes Alive series. I kind of pushed myself to try something new doing the Facebook Live. Um, but yeah, that's definitely something uh, that has changed in the 30 years. And you know what? I totally forgot your question. What was it? <laughs> well, I was just talking about what are the most effective ways to reach readers and market your books? Oh, don't we all wish we knew that? Um, well, I'm assuming you know it, and then you'll tell me, and then I'll be enlightened. This is going to be a great moment for me. <laughs> I'm still waiting for that to happen, but I just uh, try, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm hitting my head against the wall. Is this really working? But um, I, I just do all the social media that I can, and um, but I try to write the best book I can, too, and I think that's probably the best advertisement for your brand yourself you as a writer is 
to put that book out there that hopefully somebody's really going to enjoy. And if they really enjoy it, hopefully they're going to tell their friend and their friend and just keeps mushrooming out. Um, uh, and hopefully everybody will be reading your book. <laughs> sure, you get that word of mouth going and then it's uh, marketing for you 24-7 without you even knowing that's going on. Yeah, that's what we all hope for, huh? Why well, I assume it's it, it, it it's happening, <laughs> but how would we know that they, they, they don't uh, involve us in the conversation? So I'll just assume it's it's all good things happening online where I'm I'm not looking. <laughs> <laughs> we hope so. We hope so. Good thing. <laughs> and then, are you using uh, Publicist? Um, you mentioned you're you're doing multiple school visits. You're doing uh, uh, workshops. You're you're going out to, to signings. Do you are you setting those up? Do you have somebody set them up for you? Um, well, Scholastic and Simon and Schuster are the uh, two publishers I've done the most books with. Um, but uh, sometimes things will come through them. Uh, but I do have ways that you can contact directly. People can contact me directly on my website, which I think is a great thing to do. It, <clears throat> it doesn't have my email on there, but it has a click button to contact me and it comes directly to my email. So um, that's a great way for people to contact me directly. And that happens quite a bit too. So Debbie Danny comes to my school. She didn't bring the characters with her. She just came uh, as herself. Um, what uh, what does that visit entail? What's a successful school visit look like for you? Um, well, I actually have a, a um, scheduling page on my website, uh, DebbieDady.com, that uh, talks about, uh, lays it out. I tell everything that I do or can do. Um, I have three, three basic presentations that I give to school kids a K through one presentation, uh, one and two presentation, wait a minute, a two and three presentation and a four and five, uh, fourth and fifth grade presentation. And I um, try to spell out everything about the school visit so that all a school has to do or a teacher or a librarian has to do is look at it and they'll know everything they need to know, but they can contact me directly on that page so that um, uh, I can clarify anything that needs clarifying. So you come to the classroom, you come to the, the auditorium, and you've got uh, years of experience uh, now as, a, as an author as well as originally a librarian and a teacher. Um, how do you win over an audience of, of children and how do you keep them engaged through your presentation? Um, well, I pretty much do handstands now. <laughs> but I, uh, like I sing for the younger kids. I juggle or pretend to juggle. I involve kids in uh, the presentation. Um, and I tell stories because kids like to hear stories. You tell stories related to things that you've written or? Mm -hmm. And how the books came to be and, and uh, things like that. And then, um, but let's let's make sure we knock this out for I'm, I'm I'm terrible about forgetting we get too excited talking about all this writer stuff. Debbie Dady, uh, have you ever seen a flying saucer and do you believe in them? <laughs> well, um, I had a book come out last year called Fairy Chase. And uh -huh. back of this book, there is um, a quote by John Lennon, because in the in the book, um, the, the aunt uses that quote to. Uh, give to her niece and the quote is let's see if i can find it 
It says, from John Lennon, I believe in everything until it's disproved. So I believe in fairies, the myths, dragons. It all exists, even if it's in your mind. So yes, I believe in flying saucers. I've even written some stories about aliens. Um, Marsha Jones and I wrote, aliens don't, uh, we'll see, what was the first alien? Oh, aliens don't wear braces. Martians don't take temperatures. And we wrote an alien super special as well. So we had a lot of fun with aliens. <laughs> but you haven't actually uh, seen one at, 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 at this date? You know, we were driving, my husband and I were driving at, after midnight mass one year to vote, go visit my uh, family. It was pitch black, cold, the windshield was frosting up, and we saw this light moving across the sky. And we just knew that it was an alien. So who knows? <laughs> Maybe it was. <laughs> and you came to in a field four hours later and had strange dreams forever that have haunted you, right? <laughs> if, if that happened, I don't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, what, uh, what are your favorite books and what authors have most influenced your writing? Hmm. Wow. Um, I like uh, a lot of different authors. Um, I have to say my favorite author is Marsha Jones and my son, Nathan Dady, because we wrote two books together when he was in junior high. We wrote a book called Slime Wars and Slime Time. So two favorites right there. Um, I uh, enjoy lots of different kinds of books. Um, uh, I liked the Cinder series. Um, I, I lo uh, love Richard Peck's books. I like I like um, books with some history in them, uh, but I like all kinds of books. I like funny books. Um, I, I'm I'm pretty eclectic in the type of books that I like to read. Are there uh, some specific middle grade authors that you try to emulate, or at this point, have you got your voice down? You know what you're doing, and it's a Debbie Daddy original. <laughs> well, um, sure, I'd like to. I read a book, I'm thinking, oh, I wish I could write a book that good. <laughs> but, you know, you, you just have to write the book that you feel comfortable with, that it's in your voice. And uh, I think people say, oh, I have to find my voice. But if you write, you do find your voice. You just, whatever comes out, that is your voice. And um, you can kind of ad adapt it a little bit with word choice. But um, I, when I visit schools, I also point to, a couple of kids I say, and she could tell a story that nobody else in this room can tell. And he could come up with ideas that nobody else in the world could come up with. And I think instead of trying to be like somebody else, you have to be what's true to you and, and to write the story that you were meant to tell. Ooh, that sounded pretty good, didn't it? <laughs> it sounded pretty good. Let's put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> And uh, oh gosh, what was my? Now I'm thinking about what a great T-shirt that's going to make. I'm going to put those up on the website next week. <laughs> so look forward to that. Um, but I did want to ask, um, what did I want? I wanted to ask you about uh, oh, writing for children. What is it that you love most about writing for children that that that's kept you with it now almost thirty years? Well, uh, when I visit schools, it is so cool to be telling a part of the story. And you just see the kids kind of like rising up just to be right with you in that story. That is 
That is, I love that. That's amazing. And so sharing stories with kids is wonderful. Um, but awesome, just coming up with ideas. If I could sit in this chair all day long and just come up with ideas for stories, that would be great. <laughs> I think that is so fun. I love coming up with story ideas. Um, I mean, I like writing them too, but it's a lot more fun just to come up with the ideas. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> writing, writing this one's work. The idea is exciting and new. Yeah. <laughs> and do you come up with the ideas sitting there in your chair or do you, do they come to you when you're in the shower, while you're out walking, doing yard work? Oh, I think all of them. Um, but um, a lot of times you maybe have a crest of an idea, but it doesn't really develop until you start writing and you think, well, just write this and no, that, no, let's change that. Oh, you know, so just part of the, the creating process is comes through trial and error to see what works and what doesn't work. Um, and uh, you start with this one idea and it morphs into something totally different. Um, I did this. Um, um, take my sweater off here the um i did this um idea for a story that i sent to my agent and she read it and she came up with a totally unique um outlook on what i had written and i'm like oh i didn't think about that but i like it so sometimes you know getting some feedback from somebody else can can help you uh kind of adjust your idea to make it better yeah, unfortunately, that, or fortunately, I suppose that that happens to me all the time where I think I've got a brilliant idea and then I'll uh, tell it to one of my critique partners, somebody I trust and they'll say, oh, that sounds just like this book. And then I'll go and I'll read that book. And I, yeah, sure does. OK, well, let's see if we can we can yeah. put a Rob Chant spin on this, make it a, make an original story. <laughs> yeah, that happens a lot, I think, uh, unfortunately, because, well, they say every story has been told. Uh, Theoretically. Yeah. So how do we make it? different that's the trick and, and unique and fun and exciting and um i know scholastic puts out a, a survey every year of the types of books that kids like and it's always um adventure and funny books so if you can have a funny adventure book woo! <laughs> you're set there you yeah. go <laughs> so i always strive for books that hopefully kids will want to read and even the most reluctant readers as a matter of fact my logo says uh books for reluctant readers because that's i've always had a soft spot in my heart for that kid who came into my library and just did not want to get a book and i think there is a book for every kid and it doesn't matter if it's a book that i've written or a book that you've written a book that somebody else has written there is a book for that kid. We just have to find the right book and match them up. So yeah. we need all different kinds of books. Well, how, uh, how do you try to entice the reluctant reader and, and win them over? Well, of course, getting um, uh, some high concept thing like a mermaid. Uh, will bring Some kids will just read it because it's a mermaid. So that's a draw. Um, or maybe having, uh, you know, a creature like a shark putting you know you know some kids will be drawn in because of creatures a dog you said horse you've got those high concept ideas and maybe put a twist with them to draw them in but once they open the page the book and the page is too hard for them or or it's just not exciting to them um, then that's not going to work so you have to have the action on every page of a kid's book i think and how uh, how do you monitor your language to make sure that you're staying age appropriate throughout? 
Well, um, Rob, I believe I told you that I'm on a third grade level here. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. If you're over a third grade level, I guess you're covered. <laughs> That's not true. You use the word juxtaposition this very conversation. <laughs> I even said it right. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, if you use Word, you can just quickly uh, check your um, uh, spelling and it'll tell you your word level. And so you can go through your story and see if, if it's your word level is too high, your grade level is too high. Um, you can look for words that maybe you can have a simpler word or I, I, if there are two words, one's harder and one's easier, I'm going to choose the easier one just because that's how I roll. <laughs> and when you write, write for second, third and maybe fourth graders, you, you want to use the word that gets it across as simply and as uh, succinctly as possible. So when you're coming up with an idea, I have to I have to believe 160 books in that your idea uh, is going to be better tested just right off the bat than an idea that I or somebody that's, that's earlier in their career might have. What uh, what are some common things that you can test against your idea that, that would rule that out and say, no, I've 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 gone down that road before that idea is going to be a loser. Let me let me focus on, uh, on either turning that into something better. How do you know a good idea when you see one? Well, um, I guess if I'm excited about it, that makes makes it huge. Um, and then I'll share it maybe with my critique group. And if they're like, oh, or that's been done or or um, you can also, you know, just uh, go into Amazon and type in whatever it is you're thinking about and see if there is a book like that. And if there is a book like that and it was done 50 years ago, you have to say, well, maybe it's time for a new one or maybe there's a reason. It hasn't been done in 50 years. <laughs> Maybe it's not that good of an idea. <laughs> I, I do. I do uh, look on Amazon to see, you know, if there's books in that in that area that I'm thinking about, uh, if it's something I really want to pursue. And then, um, oh, Lord, I had a question and now it's it's gone. This is happening frequently. I have to drink some more coffee. <laughs> <laughs> no, not as sharp as I need to be. Goodness. That's what my grandmother used to say. Lily Bailey, which is where the Bailey School kids got their name. She used to say, if you forgot something, it must have been a lie. <laughs> must have been. No, I remembered. I know what uh, what I wanted to ask you because at this point, she is in pro that you are. Uh, you have to go to events and see these newbie writers coming along. What are the things that you've seen some of these newbie writers doing that uh, – that what are the pitfalls that you uh, see see people that just don't have your experience doing and, and, and falling short? Well, I know something that I did, and I think every writer does it because maybe it's just a rite of passage. Um, the giraffe with the neck too tall, the elephant with the ears too big, or uh, just that... Um, cliche writing that uh, doesn't mean it's not good. It's just that it's been overdone. Um, and I, I think I did that. And I know I did that. <laughs> I, I was talking about preparing for that um, uh, workshop that I'm doing on August the 3rd, Tennessee Writers Workshop. Um, I had do some things that I did right and some things that I did wrong along the way. And one of the things was, um, if you get a call from an editor, uh, don't agree to everything in your excitement with that first phone call. Write everything down and say thank you, and you'd like to review everything and look forward to working with them. 
and then calm down and don't give away the farm. <laughs> when you, when you, what, uh, uh, what are some things that you want to make sure that you maintain them? Um, I have on here, make sure you want get, at least get 50% of your dramatic rights and your ebook rights. And hopefully you would not be able, not sign without a reversion of rights clause and make sure it's free and clear for that reversion. Like if you sold them the dramatic rights, they get 50% of it. Um, uh, and the book goes out of print. Those, those rights will come back to you or you can, uh, um, get those rights because in this day and age, dramatic rights are really a big thing. Um, so if you, all, the more you can retain of those, the better. Uh, and never sign a contract when your royalties are bundled. If you like sell four books and they want to bundle the royalties all in one package, don't do that. That's really bad. I've done that. <laughs> don't do that. What's the, uh, what's, what's the uh, consequence of doing that? Um, so if you, if your books are bundled in, in a royalty package, so the first book comes out and, and it doesn't sell very well, maybe. The second book comes out and it sells better, but it's still not enough to pay out the, the advance for the first book or the second book. So you still haven't earned any other money. Um, so if it's, if it's um, accounted separately, then the first book comes out. And, and if you, let's say you make a few dollars over your advance, you're going to get some more money. But if it's bundled together, you might not get any money ever, or you might not get any money until the fourth book starts earning out. So that, that was a bad, that, I don't do that. <laughs> so you write that. four books for one advance. <laughs> and um, don't sign it without a, a print date of when it's going to be printed. Uh, and some, some things to do uh, was, is to um, uh, always ask for more money and free, more free copies. <laughs> copies that's an easy thing so you should always ask for that and um i've been told you should always ask for a little bit more money too because maybe they might give it to you you never know oh yeah who's going to come at you with their best offer first right there you go <laughs> we can all do <laughs> do you use a, a literary agent at this point or do you do you pretty well know what you're you're doing with the contracts um, uh, my uh, agent is Elizabeth Bennett at Transatlantic. And uh, no, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> it could have fooled me. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned a few things along the way, uh, but uh, it's nice uh, to have, have an agent. I did not have an agent until I'd sold 90 books. Wow. And so that's, uh, Marsh and I got the same agent with Writer's House uh, when we had, uh, after we sold 90 books. Uh, so you can do it without an agent, but I think it's easier to in this day and age to have an agent if you can. And if you don't mind sharing, what are some other mistakes that you maybe made along the way that, that we could point out for writers to avoid? Um, I wish I had um, was more tech savvy and uh, like you. <laughs> um, I, that would have been nice. And I've never done a blog. I always concentrated my writing on writing stories to sell and probably a blog would be a great thing because the more you can get your name out there, the better. Um, that's some things that I probably should have done. Um, uh, I, I am glad I did a website early on. Um, I can remember uh, somebody saying, Oh, you don't need a website. 
that's not going to be important. <laughs> <laughs> Wonder where that person is now. <laughs> so, so I'm glad I did that and I updated it along the way. And I work on my website every day, actually. I do a little bit um, on my website in that uh, time before I start work between six and seven 30, I usually do a little bit on my website. And so keeping it current as, as much as possible is a good thing. And it's a very sharp website, by the way, I was uh, very impressed when, uh, when I went there and I saw the, uh, the, the shapes moving around and, and everything staying interesting. And I also saw that you've got a YouTube channel with uh, some videos that, that promote your books and celebrate some things. Do you edit those videos yourself? Um, um most, yes, most of them I have, um, the one for the narwhal problem, my newest book, was actually uh, done by a third grade class in uh, Alabama. So that was pretty cool. They did that for me. And I saw they had, uh, you had a choir, a children's choir singing the, the mermaid song. That was very fun. I wrote the mermaid song, which that was my first song I ever wrote. So don't laugh. <laughs> but uh, then uh, I have a friend. Uh, she is a fabulous musician, uh, Diane Valentine, and she wrote the score for it. I had like a little melody picked out, uh, but she wrote the entire score and she had the kids perform it for, for that video. So that was really fun. Let us, uh, I, I asked about mistakes. Now let us ask about triumphs. Let us live vicariously through you for a moment. What are some of the, the peak moments, the most, you, you mentioned uh, the, the child that thought that the characters were coming with you, the child that said, you're a writer uh, and, and, and looked right at you. But where are some of the high points over a career now spanning almost 30 years that you can look back and say, yes, that was a good day? Well, you know how on Facebook they pop up memories from time to time? Mm -hmm. Not too long ago, there was a memory that popped up of me standing on top of a bus in New York City, reading my story to kids. I was like, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was a pretty cool moment. Uh, and I've, I've just been really lucky uh, to have a lot of cool moments. Um, cool moments. Uh, I was invited to Egypt. Uh, to visit school in Egypt. And I was able to take my oldest son with me on that trip. So that was a pretty good moment to be able to share uh, that trip with him. Um, I've just been really blessed and really lucky. Debbie, I could uh, talk your your your, your cat <laughs> off all night, uh, but I won't because I know you've got to get up tomorrow and you've got to get your social media updated and get right to the writing. And I don't want to keep you from it. Uh, so I will ask you this question is kind of a catch all. Uh, what is the one piece of advice or multiple pieces of advice that you wish you had known back uh, almost 30 years ago going into this that maybe would have made things a lot easier for you? Hmm. Wow. <laughs> I think uh, joining scbwi.org, having a critique group, and writing as much as you can, and uh, uh, taking maybe classes if you can. Um, one thing that I've never done that I still want to do is take um, acting classes because I've heard that that helps you with characterization and, and uh, being able to step into your character a little bit more. That's one thing I would like to do. Um, so I would recommend that. Uh, and of course, reading everything you can about writing and going to SCBWI conferences are wonderful. Um, I 
was in Kentucky when I first started writing in, um, I don't know if the Mid-South chapter of SCBWI was in place at that time, but I never I never got any, to go to any of the conferences. And when I moved to um, uh, different areas, I started going to the SCBWI conferences and they are so helpful um, because not only do you meet authors who are published a lot, you also meet uh, authors who have published a little and you also meet authors who are still working. They're pre-published. Uh, so get a kind of a, a, a support group, a community of fellow people who are, are just doing the best they can to write stories just like you. Uh, and I think that support is invaluable because it is a lonely, lonely little place in your, in my little, uh, little office here in, in my log cabin in Tennessee. And if getting out to um, chat with other writers makes it less lonely and uh, let, makes you less likely to quit, I think. And what uh, what kind of esteemed audience look forward to from you next? When's your next project coming? Um, well, the, the um, uh, Narwhal problem just came out uh, and number 21 comes out next no number 20 comes out next year and it's called the winter princess and it's got something near and dear to my heart in it about adoption and then if you would just remind esteemed uh, audience where they can find you online to get more information again oh well my website's debbiedady.com and i hope you'll uh, like me on uh, facebook.com slash debbiedady and uh, uh follow me on twitter uh, just my name as well at twitter.com slash Debbie Dady and come say hi. And as ever esteemed audience, you can find me at middlegradeninja.com. Find me on Twitter at MG Ninja. Do not forget to go to YouTube. Rob Kent is the channel or just search for middle grade ninja. Smash that subscribe button and get entered uh, to win your copy of the Echo Park Castaways, something like Gravity, brand new copies, uh, plus one of my books. Uh, anytime between now and the 15th, head to YouTube and subscribe to be enrolled. Um, and as always, don't forget to download your free copy of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees. If you like it, leave a review. If you don't like it, leave a review. Leave a review. I really greatly appreciate that. That helps me out. Uh, Debbie, this has been wonderful. Thanks again for, for making the time to be here. Well, I've been asking our guests to sign us off with a sign-off phrase, and that sign-off phrase is hi-ya and what have you. Will you sign us off? Did I get this right? Hi, now, what have you? That was perfect. <laughs> One more time with feeling. Hi, y'all, what have you? <laughs> Even more perfect.